0: Welcome to Afternoons with Me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a great day again. I know I'm looking forward to this time with you. And I hope you are, have had a good week so far. And, you know, we're all super busy right now, right? You got stuff to do. So we have to multitask, I think. So maybe you can be busy doing what you're doing. Maybe you're in your car, and this is a good time to um, get some spiritual time with the Lord. Uh, we're going to start with Rob Bluey. He's going to give us some updates uh, on what's going on in our nation's capital, and then we've got a really interesting show. Um, Dudley Delphs is going to be joining me. He wrote a book on the faith of Queen Elizabeth, the poised grace and quiet strength behind the crown. Uh, she's been in charge for seven decades, and turns out she loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, David Miles is going to be joining me for a full hour. It's going to be a, a powerful day, I must say. Uh, again, it's going to be a great show. So let me uh, take a little time as we get ready to consider Thanksgiving. Here's a verse uh, out of Hebrews. It's from uh, chapter 12 in verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Take 60 seconds and be right back. For Focus
1: on the Family, this is John Fuller. You know, it's easy to get stuck on the negatives of life, isn't it? Our culture seems to be drifting further away from God, and things are hard. But despite life's difficulties, we have so much to be thankful for. God blesses us with family, friends, and the necessities of life. Above all, He's given us His Son and eternal life in Jesus. From all of us at Focus on the Family, have a joyful Thanksgiving.
2: Do you have a story to share? We'd love to hear how Faith Radio impacts your life. Leave us a message on our Faith Line at 877-933-2484.
1: I love Faith Radio and listen to it all the time. And I'm grateful for all that you do. And thank you for all that you do.
2: The Faith Radio Faith Line, a place to share your story. 877-93-FAITH. That's 877-933-2484.
0: Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, and I always look forward to Tuesdays for many reasons, one of which I always get the chance to talk to Rob Bluey. Well, not every week because he was out uh, last week, but he's back in this week. Rob, welcome to the show.
2: It's great to be back, and I, I missed you last Tuesday.
0: Yes, we had uh, Thomas Jipping, who did a fantastic job, by the way.
2: Yes, he's he's terrific, a, a great colleague. He is the go-to source, Bill, uh, when it comes to President Trump's judicial nominees, he runs our judicial appointment tracker here at the Heritage Foundation. It's a great resource for any listeners who want to keep up to speed on just how many nominees President Trump has uh, has placed in federal courts. And it is uh, one of his uh, accomplishments, one of the standout accomplishments, frankly, of this administration, because on so many issues, you need Congress to work together. And this is one where you just need the Senate, which happens to be controlled by the president's party right now.
0: Right. Right. He sounded like he definitely paid attention in law school. He gave me that impression
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, that's for sure
0: so of course, the topic this week is a recurring one. it's thanksgiving it's it turns out it's on a Thursday this year, and it's uh it's a really a chance to celebrate our religious freedom and just be letting each other celebrate that moment together.
2: Well, it really is, and I mean, we go back to the origins of Thanksgiving, and of course the origins of this country are are deeply rooted in in religion and faith and and God, and I think in today's uh, culture, we sometimes tend to forget about that uh, we we don't necessarily learn about it in our schools uh, so it's incumbent upon parents to teach their children or or, or churches to, to bring out those those themes uh, I know that that was the the sermon that I heard uh, at church on Sunday uh, uh, all about uh, giving thanks and uh, and you know a uh, pairing it back to the Bible and, and talking about these things in a in a context that I think our culture sometimes finds uncomfortable, Bill. So I mean this is why I'm grateful for, for you and Faith Radio and that we can have these these kinds of conversations. But I think it also gives us an opportunity to reflect about uh about maybe you know, how do we get so adrift that we're we're uncomfortable talking about uh about the role of religion, particularly at a time of Thanksgiving when it's so central.
0: That's a great point, Rob, and I, I hope all believers who are listening have the courage to step up and and uh, bring up this conversation with their loved ones
2: well it, it absolutely is, is so important and uh, and I also think uh, for parents to uh, to instill it in in their children because let's face it uh, they're probably not hearing about it in school uh, they're probably hearing about other things uh, as we move into this uh, this holiday season, of course, uh, Thanksgiving followed by Christmas. Uh, some of the other uh, religious holidays from other faiths, uh, non-Christian faiths. Uh, You know, it's really important to to keep a focus on that. Uh, I know everybody wants to talk about Black Friday and giving Tuesday and uh you know whatever they do on Monday on the internet, you know right but those are all fine i mean i i, I want to pe- I want people to be successful and uh, and our economy to be booming, but at the same time we shouldn 't forget about uh, what the underlying message is of these these holidays
0: true now, I have must admit my interest has really waned in some of the uh, uh impeachment hearings, and I know you are paying attention to that so i I would love to get your take on where you feel all this is going.
2: Well, Bill, let me begin by saying I don't think it's just you. It seems that uh, you are reflective of a lot of Americans. Okay. who don't feel so bad then. Who, who, who've lost interest or, in fact, have moved in the other direction. Uh, we, we've seen some polls come out, uh, particularly independents, because you have to remember that Democrats are pretty locked into what they want to see happen. Republicans are going to support the president uh, it seems, regardless of what happens. And uh, so the real people who you have to keep an eye on are those independents. Well, independents have actually moved against impeachment hmm. after two weeks of public hearings, and I think that uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, uh, the witnesses themselves were just r- wholly unimpressive. I mean, I think that they're distinguished individuals, they're great public servants, you know, they are uh, people who, you know, we should applaud for their accomplishments, but when it comes to laying out a case against Donald Trump, they, they did a rather poor job, and uh, there were people who conflicted each other, like Ambassador Sondland. Uh, on the one hand, he was saying there was a quid pro quo, and then he said later that there wasn't. I mean, you, you you're, as a viewer you're just left wondering what the heck is going on here. Uh, It seems that the guy can't make up his mind. Um, Others seem that they had a vendetta against this president, and I don't think that made them very credible in the eyes of the American people. And so uh, in some of the critical swings that swing states, uh, yeah, the the independents have definitely moved against this. I don't think it's ultimately going to change the outcome of what we've been expecting now for weeks. Uh, the Democrats will most likely move forward articles of impeachment. Uh, what's going on right now is the Intelligence Committee is writing a report, which sometime uh, probably within the next week or two will deliver to the Judiciary Committee. Of course, uh, the Judiciary Committee is what needs to actually vote on those articles of impeachment before they go to the full House floor. Uh, Once the House takes action, then it goes over to the Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, and you need two-thirds to convict. Uh, No president has ever been uh, convicted. Um, Andrew Johnson was acquitted, as was Bill Clinton. Uh, Richard Nixon's never made it that far because he resigned. And I think the the same will be true um, in the case of President Trump. I think there there will not be that support in the Senate uh, to to basically remove him from office.
0: I mean impeachment, Rob, is a very serious business. And I I know on the Daily Signal, because I'm there right now— Um, You can get a free copy just for asking on How Impeachment Works, Answers to Seven Common Questions by the Compliments of the Heritage Foundation. And I highly recommend, as I have just done and gone on and gotten a copy of this. It's a very serious business, and you can't just have some hearsay um, and try to impeach a president based on that.
2: Well, I, I w- that's a great point, and I'm, I'm glad you raised it because, short of declaring war, which is a, obviously a function uh, and a role that Congress plays, impeachment is probably the second most important thing that they can do. Removing a duly elected president from office is a very serious matter, and I think that what we're seeing here is, uh, from the moment that Donald Trump was was inaugurated, you had people like Congressman Al Green making the case that you could remove the president for any reason. You didn't; he didn't need to. Uh, commit a, a high crime or misdemeanor in order to be removed from office. And so uh, this is a, a dangerous path that we go down. Uh, we, we know that the Democrats don't like this president's politics. They don't like him personally. Uh, but at the same time, that's not necessarily the remedy for which you, you go about taking him uh, out of office. And I think that this president also presents a unique situation in both the case of Andrew Johnson And in the case of Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton, you had presidents who were serving in their second term. So maybe there was more of a justification in those cases for Congress to take action because the voters wouldn't have a say. Uh, Let's face it, we are less than a year away now from Election Day when the voters will have an opportunity to decide whether Donald Trump gets four more years. So it is a very serious matter. It's one of those things that Congress needs to take uh, take very seriously as it considers these these articles. And I think at the end of the day, what's going to be unfortunate is it's going to be mostly a party-line vote. Uh, you may, in fact, have mo- more Democrats voting with Republicans. I don't think there's any indication that a single Republican will vote uh, to move forward on this impeachment in the House. And uh, that just shows you what it is. It's uh, truly a political exercise.
0: Mm-hmm. And it is uh, consuming a lot of time. Uh Time and energy by Congress, and there's so much work that needs to be done. Um, and I, I think the American people are going. We got other issues that are way more important than this.
2: They do look. It's uh, it's certainly given the news media quite <laughs> quite a bit of work to do, including us at the Daily Signal. Right. Fred Lucas uh, did a, did an all star job last week, uh, watching all of the hearings and, and providing a summary to uh, to our audience. Uh, because you know we we know that the American people can't sit in front of their TV and watch hours and hours of impeachment hearings. Uh, And you're absolutely correct that there are other more uh, uh, pressing issues that need to be addressed let 's let 's you know tackle a couple of them Congress last week before it went on its recess for Thanksgiving passed another continuing resolution uh, that means that they 've punted the ball again on spending uh, the next uh, deadline is now December twentieth right before christmas i 'm sure that they 'll have a huge appetite to try to tackle this uh, major issue uh, right before that holiday um, which is uh, which is not going to be the case what you 're going to have is another budget busting uh, spending bill. So uh, that's one issue that's front and center. Healthcare remains another one. There's a case moving through uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals right now, which has the potential to completely undo Obamacare. I think we'll be talking about it here in the next few weeks when the decision is made. Um, Congress, you know, has uh, has failed uh, to to put forward solutions on healthcare that the American people want to see. And uh, and lastly, I'll mention immigration, uh, Bill, because immigration is one of those issues that the president has done a lot from his uh, his spot in the executive office. But uh, you know, it's really incumbent upon Congress to enact some of the laws that that they need uh, to enforce uh, our immigration policies more effectively and, and stem flow of illegal immigrants into this country. So those are three issues that would keep Congress plenty busy, uh, which they're just not doing uh, because impeachment is consuming all of their time and, and energy.
0: Uh, Rob, I found this interesting. And as we're speaking about health care, among the things you listed, that there has been some administrative actions about um, trying to take the 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 guesswork away from the health prices of hospital procedures, so people can just see what things cost.
2: Well, look, you know, I am somebody who uh, <laughs> completely understands from a consumer perspective. Uh, Bill, uh, back in September, my oldest son, while at a baseball practice, uh, broke his arm. And uh, he uh, he's fine. Uh, he he got the cast off a couple weeks ago, and uh, and everything's on the mend. Can't play sports yet for a few few more weeks. But uh, but having looked at the bills, it is alarming uh, to, <laughs> to see what the what the total was uh, for the surgery and you know going to the emergency room and riding in the ambulance and all of that stuff. It it adds up. I mean, it's significant, and, and we're we're fortunate uh, you know to have a good insurance plan, and and I realize that not all Americans do. And I think having uh, better Transparency and understanding uh, what the costs are would would certainly benefit consumers. Uh, I think there's a number of reforms that we could we could look at. I think that that's one of the reasons why you've seen some success and some doctors' offices, we've covered them at the Daily Signal, who do advertise these prices. You look at some free uh, free market solutions that fall out of the uh, out of the spectrum of insurance. Look at LASIK eye surgery. The cost of LASIK eye surgery used to be astronomical. Look what's happened when they've come down. Uh, insurance doesn't cover that in many cases, you know, because it's uh, it's a decision that you don't necessarily need. It's not not medically required. My wife had LASIK eye surgery. We shop around at different uh, different places, different doctors, and you pick the place that uh, you want to go, and you have the price there right in front of you. Uh, so it's all very transparent. So I, I think transparency is generally a good thing all, all across the board. And, uh, and this is one area where I think it would work to the consumer's advantage.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest. I'm going to take a little break. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Always head over to DailySignal.com to learn more about uh, Rob and his incredible staff. We'll take a short break and be right back. back to the show. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. So, uh, Rob, I I don't know if I miss the old days. Billionaires used to buy politicians instead of becoming one?
2: Well... <laughs> that seems to be the case uh you know it is uh it is one avenue that they can take now uh for running for office look this is an expensive proposition a billion dollar proposition in some cases yeah. so uh, to have somebody who has the the luxury of of uh millions of dollars exposed you know is expendable you know to to be able to run for president uh certainly makes it a whole lot easier In in this case, we're talking about Michael Bloomberg, which I think raises a a number of issues. Uh, Yes, so you have uh, questions about, you know, how does he qualify for a debate uh, when you have? A, a candidate who's completely self-funding and not accepting donations. I, I don't know. I don't think an answer has been uh, been really uh, given to that. Uh, secondly, you know, he runs a news organization, and, and basically the news organization has decided that it's not going to investigate uh, Democrats. It'll continue to investigate President Trump, but but none of the Democrats. I mean, it would seem that if uh, if Donald Trump ran a news organization and imposed such a policy, there'd be a, a major outcry on the part of of journalists. Now, I've seen a few here and there criticize it, but uh, but I think yeah, you're absolutely right that there. Are big issues uh, at stake here, and uh, and some of the Democrats themselves aren't taking too kindly to this, and have uh, have launched their own attacks against him because uh, they don't necessarily uh, think that he's uh, the best person to represent their party. But uh, it's interesting. You have a Donald Trump who used to be a Democrat, who's a Republican president, and Michael Bloomberg who used to be a Republican running in the Democratic primary. No, <laughs> oh, things are all messed up, Bill.
0: <laughs> oh, it is, and when. Michael Bloomberg, you know, says what he said about you can't investigate the Democrats. I I think, well, you know, that you're just supporting President Trump's whole idea that there's a lot of fake news out there.
2: Well, I think there's ways to do this. Um, You know, there are uh, obviously... Uh, firewalls for a reason within sure. news organizations, where you don't let the business side control the editorial side, and we have similar structures here at the Daily Signal. Um, we 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 have operated that way for the past five years, and it would seem that if we could figure it out, and if uh, if other news organizations could figure it out, certainly Bloomberg could. I know that there are former Bloomberg uh, journalists who said if they were still in that situation today, that they would uh, they would resign you know, maybe easier for them to say that now that they're no longer employed there. But yeah, I think it does raise some questions um, about uh, uh, about how how to necessarily handle it. And uh, I, I don't pretend that there's easy answers, but I think this is why ethics uh, play such a big role when it comes to journalism.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, The Daily Signal uh, had a very interesting podcast on Kathy Grace Duncan, who uh, lived for 11 years as a man and now is back to living as a woman. Um did you get a chance to hear that podcast?
2: I did. Uh, yes, we, this was on today's show. It's uh it's a fascinating interview that my colleague uh, Daniel Davis did with her. Uh and uh yes, I I agree with you. Uh you know, these stories are increasingly seeming uh to come to light. Uh people who are more willing to speak out about what their experiences have been like. Uh, because they weren't necessarily as glorious and glamorous as uh, you would believe based on some media portrayals uh, of of, uh, of other individuals, I think what's particularly um, alarming in this case, and 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 other things that that I've read as as a parent of of children in elementary school, is uh, the early age in which these ideas are being introduced to young people. And I, I don't, uh, I, I, I you know, we we have another uh, podcast. It's called Millennial Myths, and. Um, one of our our interns this semester, uh, produces the show. Uh, She went out on the street in D.C. and asked uh, some local residents uh, their views on this particular issue, and I was really surprised by the number of people who felt that kids as young as kindergartners uh, should be able to determine uh, their gender. Uh, of course, uh, you know there's this debate, you know, uh, whether or not gender is even a real thing, uh, and uh, you know she'll be referring it to it as uh, our God-given sex, you know, uh, which we were born with. But yes, in, in this in this particular interview today, um, it's it's really incredible to hear how uh, she went through that period of 11 years uh, living um, as as uh, as a man, and uh, and has uh, come back because she found um, Jesus Christ in her life and. It was Jesus who, through prayer and, uh, and a, a lot of time, I think, meditating and thinking about where she was going, uh, eventually decided that she would come back to, uh, to her birth sex.
0: It's interesting. Kids at that age are so willing to absorb just anything uh, that they think might be interesting. I mean, I at one point had my Superman costume on. I think I'd crawled up onto the mantle of the house getting ready to fly. Fortunately, my mom Came in and caught me in time before I was airborne. But you know, you're you're willing to believe just about anything when you're that young.
2: Well, I, I and and this is the the challenge. Uh, as uh, as my colleague Emily Gao says, uh, you know, children at that age have a hard time understanding, uh, you know, fact from fiction, and, it, and there's you know. a there's a reason that we don't let them uh, make medical decisions at that age, and why you have to have parental consent, and I know that there are some states that want to take away parents' opportunity to to be involved, or they'll they'll punish parents or or doctors um, who who try to intervene, and I think that's that's uh that's truly frightening. Um you know, we just a few weeks ago had the video that the Daily Signal produced with Dr. Michelle Curtella. Uh, the pediatrician who mm-hmm. was warning about the dangers of puberty blockers in YouTube uh, labeled that as hate speech uh, because they, they felt that uh, she couldn't uh, basically provide her medical advice uh, to our viewers, and they've removed the video. Um, we were shocked by that decision, and we, we you know, still stand strongly opposed to YouTube's uh, YouTube's decision in that, in that matter. We've reposted the video without the line that they objected to, but uh, at the same time, I think it's troubling that we're, we're on a slippery slope where increasingly it seems that, uh, you know, uh, what it was once a, a common sense belief is now being labeled as hate speech.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Rob, just because uh, we're looking at Thanksgiving this week, do you have any feel-good story that we can sort of wrap up with?
2: Yeah, well, I mean I, I look, I think that there's uh there, there's there's so many uh, good things happening in the world, but <laughs> uh you know, uh one of the things that that always is is a great joy to watch is um is is the president, you know, pardoning the turkey bill. <laughs> so uh, you know, yeah. uh, bread and butter were the, the two two names of okay. <laughs> the turkeys this year. They always come up with those clever things. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think you know, as we started this conversation and we're talking about the importance of Thanksgiving and uh it's it's you know, religious background and, and what it means to all of us. Uh yeah, let's let's use this as a as a moment to uh to, to maybe remove some of the political animosity that we we have towards those uh those in our lives our, our president uh Kay Coles James wrote a, a great piece um which we we uh, you know shared uh from Heritage and the Daily Signal about uh finding common ground i think that that's something that we uh, should strive to do let's not uh let our hostilities toward uh political opponents uh spill onto the the Thanksgiving dinner table and look for opportunities where we can come together and uh and and you know see each other as fellow Americans and try to move the ball forward in a positive way.
0: Yeah, that's such great wisdom. Rob, thank you so much for uh, doing the show today and, and uh, telling us uh, and encouraging us in this uh, last couple of minutes, especially as we head into Thanksgiving with our loved ones.
2: Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you. Thank
0: you so much. Rob Blue, he's been my guest, the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. That's pretty regal music for my next subject. Queen Elizabeth II has certainly intrigued millions and millions of people around the world. She is quite inspirational. She's uh, she's the longest reigning monarch in British history. And how much do we know about her? Well, we're going to fortunately find out. Dudley uh, Delfs wrote a book called The Faith of Queen Elizabeth, The Poise, Grace and Quiet Strength Behind the Crown. Dudley, welcome to the show.
1: Bill, thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Yeah, a nice work on this book. I mean, this is a all interesting right. uh, subject, and it's one that I think we all can kind of be inspired by.
1: Absolutely. Queen Elizabeth has always intrigued me, and writing this book was kind of the culmination of of researching and exploring her life and trying to get a glimpse of not only what she's really like, but what she really believes.
0: You know, uh, Dudley, I, I don't know how old you are, but safe to say that uh, she was already in charge before we were born.
1: Yes, <laughs> indeed. I mean, I think she's been in charge, you know, 70 years, um, but many, you know, she's, she's now in her seventh decade. Yeah. So I think, you know, most people, she's the only queen they've ever known in Great Britain.
0: Yeah. So, um, tell tell us what you know about you know her faith i mean when i think of her country i don't really think of a, a people that race to church on sunday
1: well right right and i think there are certainly some some cultural differences and distinctions which also make it quite interesting but uh, queen elizabeth um grew up with uh, her parents and of course were in the royal family but um i think she as a little girl expected to be you know in the background uh, they went to the Church, the Church of England, and um, her mother, who we later know, of course, as the Queen Mother, um, was was very rigorous on reading the Bible and bedtime prayers and acts of service and so forth. So when Elizabeth, um, her uncle, abdicated, Edward the Eighth, and suddenly her father became king, then it was very clear what Elizabeth's path and the rest of her life would look like. So when she did become queen, I think, you know, I mean, so challenging. And we tend to focus on the privilege, perhaps, or the wealth of the celebrity. But, you know, I I love this, you know, Netflix series, The Crown, because they remind us that she's still very much a human being and has the struggles and the challenges. And honestly, I think the only way that, that anyone can deal with it, but especially someone in her position, is to have a very personal Christian faith.
0: Yeah, you know, she's uh, obviously never led a normal kind of life, and it probably is not, uh, you know, when we, when we think of her, if she were to complain about anything, we'd go, well, come on, you're the queen. <laughs> you, right, you don't have right. the right to complain, but in fact, your point is so well taken, Dudley. She's a human, and the obstacles she's had in her life and the times her heart's been broken, and, and still to this day, I mean, I look at what's going on with her, her son.
1: Yes. No, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, my wife and I have three young adult children, and, you know, I think I'm surprised that I still have to kind of, you know, help them and and wrestle through some of these adjustments as they transition into adulthood. And yet, you know, I look at the Queen with her son, Prince Andrew, and, and that situation, and And realize, you know, it it never ends in a sense. You always love your children and life always goes on and there are trials and challenges you have to face.
0: When you uh, think of some of the heartbreak that she's gone through, and do you uh, share some of that specifics in the book?
1: Absolutely. I I mean, certainly losing her father at a relatively young age Mm -hmm. um, was devastating for her. Um, And, of course, then being thrust into the role of, of monarch right away. So it wasn't like she could really, you know, grieve or mourn privately. Had to do that very much uh, in her new role as queen. Um, you know, and then I think I think the queen, uh, despite that kind of, you know, uh, stoic reserve and, and that, you know, dignity and poise that is part, I think, of the British culture, but perhaps also of her um, quieter or more introverted personality. You know, I, I still think the Queen has has grieved through all of the the national and many international tragedies. Um, you know, the the new season of of The Crown shows this tragedy in this Welsh mining town of Aberfan, and over a hundred children lost their lives and um, almost thirty adults. And you know, it's just. Devastating and how to balance the the public role of sovereign with the very human role of of mother and wife and sister and daughter um it it's really, really tough
0: uh, Dudley, how was she at dealing with uh, public criticism?
1: You know, I really admire the way she handles it honestly, I think she handles it better than than I would bill i mean she listens. I mean, I think she reacts like you know any person might and mm-hmm. and certainly has the emotions and so forth, but uh you know doesn't react publicly and then takes the time to listen. You know, I mean there have been several occasions along the way um where she has had to deal with it very personally and directly and arguably you know now may be another one of those times, but she she faces it. And I think she tries to learn from it and, and not allow it to disrupt who she is and the purpose that she's called to.
0: She has this demeanor that I, I'm always drawn to because I always see incredible calm and a collectedness to her. And, and I think what you said is she processes probably behind the scenes and does it so well, but she's got uh, quite a um, quite a calm disposition.
1: Absolutely. And, and again, you know, isn't someone with a personality and an enormous ego, um, you know, that, that must be put first. I mean, I, I I think she would have been quite content to, to simply be a, um, a wife and mother and grandmother and, you know, raise dogs and horses in the country. Mm-hmm. But but that, that has not been her, her destiny. So, you know, she really, you know, really maintains that composure that goes with being the sovereign. But yet I also love the way that she has such a, a keen sense of humor and is very compassionate and very aware and engaged whenever she meets anyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Dudley, what was it like when she lost her uh, daughter-in-law, Diana.
1: Well, so much has been made of that, Bill, and I think that was definitely a turning point any way you look at it. Um, You know, we see dramatized in films like Peter Morgan's The Queen just the way it was very, very difficult because you had so many roles colliding at once. I mean, you know, here's this incredibly popular uh, young woman, Princess Diana, who honestly, you know, has wrought havoc with the monarchy and and with the queen's family. And not that she would ever intend any any uh, harm or ill will, but you know, uh, Diana caused lots of challenges that um I'm sure were not easy to face. And then to to lose her at such a young age and that of course, you know, being her grandson's mother um it, <laughs> Again, she is trying to wrestle with that very private side, and yet the public demanded that she express grief as their sovereign, um, you know, that, they, that she could somehow convey it. And, and so all kinds of concessions were made with Princess Diana's funeral and all of the services and aspects that went with putting her to rest. That had never been made before. And, and, you know, so the queen was caught in the middle of tradition and history and propriety and uh, people who were very conservative telling her, you know, not to express emotion or make public statements. And then you had millions of people, not just in the United Kingdom, but worldwide waiting on her to show human emotion and to express grief that we were all feeling at the loss of this very young, beautiful life.
0: Mm-hmm. Dudley, as the Queen is now—how how old is she? Is she 93?
1: She is 93.
0: 93, yeah. She's probably a little bit more willing than ever before to share uh, her interest in the gospel message in the Bible.
2: Do I have that she, right?
1: Yes, you do have that right, Bill. She has become, I think, you know, even more transparent in the last couple of decades. Um, many commentators have pointed out in 2002, the year that she lost both her mother— and her sister, Princess Margaret. um, You know, that was, of course, just a terrible blow um, to to lose them both within months of one another. And again, I think it reminded the queen of her own mortality and the legacy that she wants to live, not just in her family or in history, but just spiritually. And so... Her annual Christmas broadcasts, which is, you know, one of the most direct um, and, and widespread forums that she has to, to speak, um, have become, you know, a way that she really does focus on Jesus and focus on what it means to try to love one another, to respect one another, to be kind to one another. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really appreciate that the older she's gotten, the more willing she is to do that.
0: And she has had a lot of opportunities to be um, around so many influential people. I mean, when you're the queen, I mean, you get, you get everybody that comes and meets with you. And I, I want to say every time there's a, a foreign leader that goes and spends time with the queen, I secretly pray that there's an influence to make the world a better place, because she certainly has this, you know, this love of God you can just see in her eyes.
1: She does, Bill, and that's again something I so admire because even when she disagrees with the leader's perspective, whether that's political or personal or social, she still demonstrates um, respect and courtesy, um, uh, you know, a willingness to receive them and accept them and not to criticize them and not to betray her feelings if she has any that might be negative or critical. And I think that's challenging when you're dealing with this huge array of world leaders from every point of view. And yet she does it so gracefully and, you know, with such ease. And I think we can all take a lesson from that, whether we are meeting world leaders or just our neighbors next door.
0: Mm -hmm. And, Dudley, safe to say that she is probably one of the most recognizable women in the world.
1: Indeed. I mean, she... I don't know how we would, you know, prove this, but she has often uh, called the most famous woman in the world and the most photographed. And, you know, certainly you think about longevity and the decades that she's been in the public eye, and that certainly seems to be true.
0: There's a photo I saw of her with her, probably her great-grandkids, and it was such a beautiful photograph. I I remember dragging it onto my desktop because I wanted to save it on, on my computer. And what I really saw was this not the not the queen, but I saw this this great grandma just full of love to be around her great grandkids. It was just so sweet,
1: yes, yes, I appreciate that she's never lost sight of that that you know that um connection, and you know she's been criticized at times from uh for being distant or, you know, having to be removed um, from her own children uh, as she has attempted to balance her roles as sovereign with that of mother. And and certainly no parent, you know, uh, is perfect, certainly myself included. But I think the fact that she loves her children and, you know, wants good things for them, wants their well-being, wants their happiness, I think that's very apparent. And her level of engagement with her grandchildren um, and with her, her great-grandchildren, I think is is evidence of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dudley Delfs is my guest. He's written a book called "The Faith of Queen Elizabeth: The Poise, Grace, and Quiet Strength Behind the Crown." We'll take a short break, and we come back. We'll have lots more with Dudley. back to the show. Dr. Dudley Delfts has written a fascinating book on the faith of Queen Elizabeth, the poise, grace and quiet strength behind the crown. And Dudley, as, as she starts to uh, lay out the, her legacy for future generations, um, what do you think her top priorities would be? Because she certainly has modeled some pretty amazing things. I mean, she's, she got married in 19, what, 47, yeah. uh, to the to Prince Philip. They've been married for a long time. Um, 72 years. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I, you know what? They seem so ageless. Every time I see them, I go, how can they be moving so well? Don't yeah. they have like a sore hip or something?
1: I know. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And I think, you know, obviously she has her legacy on her mind and, you know, has been turning over responsibilities to uh, Prince Charles and, you know, Prince William and, and other members of the family. Um, you know, I, I think certainly wanting to to maintain stewardship of the monarchy and its role in the government and in the culture, um, it has to be on her mind. But I think what I appreciate is that there's so much evidence that she also wants to instill values and to remind her children and royal family as well as her subjects and admirers to remind them um, what it means to simply, you know, do your best to follow the example that Jesus set for us and to, you know, engage in that practice, you know, every day, not just in church or at holidays like Christmas or whatever. And so, you know, that's why I think she inspires me, Bill, because, you know, I see a lifetime lived through all the ups and downs, you know, more than I can imagine or know about, I'm sure, and yet there's this consistency, this stable practice of, you know, she goes to church almost every Sunday, she's referenced reading her Bible, perhaps daily, she prays each day, and then many, many ministries, charities, nonprofits that she supports, and then, you know, countless acts, small acts and big acts of kindness and compassion to the individuals with whom she comes in contact.
0: Mm-hmm. Dudley, in Chapter 9, you talk about wit and wisdom, finding joy by keeping perspective. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that chapter.
1: Yes. Uh, Bill, I think the queen, one of her secrets, if you will, to maintaining that, that, that calm disposition and composure is that she really does have a perspective that enables her to step back from the crisis or the trial or circumstances in the moment, and certainly trying to look at that with you know the eye of history or the longer perspective, the big picture, if you will, but also trying to bring some levity and you know trying to lighten things up and um, remind people of what's really important and not just what might seem important in the moment
0: so when You uh, started the research on this. Where did the interest on this come, Dudley? I know you've written a book on Dolly Parton as well, haven't you?
1: Yes, I have. And I know that that is a a big jump from Dolly (laughs) Parton to Her Majesty the Queen.
0: (laughs) A little bit of one, but...
1: But yeah, well, you know, I love finding or exploring faith in unexpected places or people or events. And, you know. Um, in both cases, with Dolly and Her Majesty, you know, they've had these very public, um, international, celebrity kind of lives, and yet their faith has always been a component of who they are and what they're about, and they've they've never been shy about it. It's just been part of them. And I admire that, and I think the older I get, um, you know, the more I want to have my faith be that natural and organic as I try to fulfill the purpose that God has given me.
0: Mm-hmm. So will she remain um, in power until she, she dies, or will she ever transfer power to Charles and say, all right, you take over?
1: It is unlikely that she will, you know, step down okay. from the, the monarchy. I mean, that would be, in essence, an abdication, and, and that. I cannot imagine that happening unless there were extraordinary circumstances. I think I think we're witnessing what is much more likely, Bill, and that's simply Her Majesty, again, divesting herself of many of the responsibilities and the service appearances and um, involvement with many charities and the nonprofits um, that the royal family serves as patron for. But I, I think, you know, she will not um, – be released from the role. I think, in her view, until she does pass from this life, um, I think she truly, you know, sees her her job, if you will, her purpose as being God given and divinely ordained.
0: That's beautiful, Dudley. When you write a book on the Queen, do you end up getting a, a letter with uh, official letterhead coming <laughs> from the, their office saying, "Okay, now who are you and what are you writing?"
1: Well, I'm, I'm waiting on that. Okay, now I <laughs> mean, you know, I mean. Um, and i felt I felt you know almost um, ridiculous um, writing a l- brief little note and and sending a copy of the book to Her Majesty at Buckingham Palace. but I thought why not? I mean basically I apologized I, you know it 's like i 'm not trying to be presumptuous, certainly no one can look into another person 's heart, but I just want to say, I appreciate you, I admire you, and i 've been inspired by you
0: Mm-hmm. Can you think of uh, a story that you uh, came across in your research that just really struck you and you had to wrestle with it for a while, or you were just in complete amazement by it?
1: One of my favorite stories, Bill, has to do with a surgeon, a trauma surgeon there in London, who participated regularly in Doctors Without Borders. So he would often go to war-torn countries and just these incredible... Uh, zones of violence, um, civil war. And he was uh, in Syria in one of those situations and had just, you know, mostly focused his practice on children and and just seen horrific things. So when he returned to London, um, he was invited with others, other caregivers, other um, first responders to Buckingham Palace for a tea. And as it turned out, he ended up being seated next to Her Majesty the Queen. And as they made polite conversation, the queen asked about, you know, where he had been serving and what it was like, and the poor doctor just kind of froze up and became speechless. <laughs> and 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 the you know and the queen instantly saw this in in his eyes, and so she just very calmly signaled to to one of the uh, the footmen nearby, and then she just kind of put her her hand on the doctor's hand and said it's all right and the footman ended up bringing dog biscuits and the corgis her beloved dogs the corgis in and she gave the doctor dog biscuits to feed to the corgis and they sat there and petted the dogs and just had a very very relaxing moment and you know as the doctor relaxed he said just her thoughtfulness in doing that gesture that gesture meant so much to him because She recognized that there was no way for him to talk about all the trauma and horror that he had witnessed, and she didn't pressure or expect him to, even in a polite way. Instead, she offered him a gesture of comfort.
0: Yeah, she broke patterns a little bit and said, let's bring in the dogs. You can feed the dogs a biscuit.
1: Absolutely. That was
0: brilliant on her part.
1: It really is, and I just I love the fact that she's willing to do that and that she was so attuned to someone at one of these events that she could reach out, and give them a small act of kindness.
0: Yeah. Now, Dudley, here's another thing that is an inspiration uh, from your book, The Faith of Queen Elizabeth, is it certainly looks like she's going to end well uh, as a woman of faith, uh, as a servant, as someone who has lived her faith um, her whole life. You know, you often hear that expression that Christians want to end well, and not, not all of us do.
1: True, true, and and again, honestly, I think, you know, uh, the older I get, as I'm now in my, my 50s and, and you know, thinking about the rest of my life, um, it, it can be challenging sometimes because so many of our beliefs become tested, and, you know, we, we deal with things we just never imagined and losses that seem, you know, um, beyond our ability to endure, but, you know, with the Queen and at age 93 and on the the throne for 67 years, um, she's more than proven herself. And, um, you know, I chatted with such a variety of people when I was in, in Britain doing research, and almost everyone loves and respects her, even if they don't consider themselves royalists or they don't, you know, they, they're really not keen on the monarchy as a concept, but they, they all respect Queen Elizabeth and admire the way she has conducted herself throughout these many many decades.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an impressive book. And uh, Dudley, you're uh, I appreciate coming on the show. Um, I just love that uh, the Queen's personal faith in Jesus Christ has really been the anchor in in her her long life. And then to think, well, I know she's the Queen, but to have any job for sixty seven years is <laughs> <laughs> at some point everyone wants to retire and, and just not work. But um yes. she's, she's led an amazing life.
1: Yes, she has. And, you know, um, I think her schedule is probably busier than, than mine and, and most people's. So, um, you know, I know. God save the Queen. We wish her well. And, Bill, thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Yeah, Dudley, thank you so much for writing the book and, and coming on the show. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your fam.
1: Well, likewise. Yeah. Thank th- you
0: so much. Thank you so much. Dudley Delphs has been my guest. And the book that he has written that we have been chatting about is called The Faith of Queen Elizabeth, the poise, grace and quiet strength behind the crown. It's a fascinating read. We'll take a little break and when we come back we've got Hour 2 just ahead of us and Pastor David Miles will be in studio for the whole hour and I have a feeling it's going to be powerful because every time he shows up he usually gives us some amazing things to think about and chew on. We'll take a short break and be back with uh, David Miles in Hour 2.